This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 30th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hey, this is Pete McCarthy. I was at WRHU, I guess, 2003 training class in the spring and then exited spring of 06. So three years. Okay. What shows or programs did you work on? I was a sports guy through and through. I was a sports director for 2005. and then, uh, But we had to do one other shift. Uh, so I did classical music. I did jazz, the jazz cafe for a, for a hot second. Uh, I almost did the Grateful Dead show. That would have been cool. Uh, but yeah, no, I just kind of did the, the stuff during the daytime that nobody else wanted to do. And I am now almost good at doing classical music on the, uh, you know, New York times crossword every day. At least I've passing familiarity with a name or two. Those those years of university have paid off, no doubt. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Did you have any other titles other than sports director at the station? Nope. Uh, did you work on any of the weekend programs or community affairs programs? Oh, I think I... Well, I was always around on the weekends because of the sports. We were usually preempting all of the weekend shows. I don't think I actually worked on any of the weekend shows. No, but I was around, I was always around, you know, everybody that was there in Boston and, 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 and everybody who was there the, the, the weekends. Tony Jackson, right? Yeah. Sure. Sure. All coming. <laughs> when you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air personas? No, no, it's just Pete McCarthy all the way through. All right. Um, so I'd like to go back to the beginning and two-part question. What was it that first brought you to Hofstra Radio? And then if you could describe it for people who weren't there at the same time, what was the station like? Do you remember who you met? What was going on at the time? What did it smell like? What did it look like? Paint us a picture of WRHU when you first arrived. Yeah, so my first time there, I got into the Honors College at Hofstra. So they had a, they had like a dinner. Uh, and then at the dinner, they said, hey, one program we've started, you can spend a night in the honors college dorms and, you know, get a feel for what it is to be a college student. So I was a senior in high school and I was excited because, hey, you know, I get to go to some college parties, see what's going on, you know. Um, so I had already in my mind decided to go to St. John's. I was going to do sports management over there. I had seen the radio station at St. John's because I was always interested in doing radio television and it was you know it was like a closet uh, at st john's mm. so it's like okay that's a college radio station cool and then i spent the night at hofstra uh and in the morning i, I was connected with someone else who was a you know a student down the hallway and i guess he had an interest in in the radio so they're like oh you gotta you know hang out with this guy so he brought me to wrhu in then dempster hall and I was like, holy cow, like, <laughs> look at these facilities compared to what I had seen at St. John's and thought, you know, the college radio experience would be. I worked doing promotions at WALK, uh, you know, a number one adult contemporary station on Long Island. And I think the facilities were nicer at WRHU than they were at the professional radio station. So I was like, wow, this is this is something else. And then. Yeah, I remember going, I don't know exactly what the timeline was, but I remember seeing WRHU students calling one of the baseball games at Hofstra and they were, you know, set up 
right by home plate and, and calling the game. I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. They're, they're doing play-by-play for the games. That's what I want to do. So that totally changed. Just going to WRG total, totally changed my trajectory and where I decided to go. And right then I was like, I'm going to Hofstra. And um, so I tried to get into the training class right away. It took a little while, but eventually got my way in there in the, the spring of freshman year. And it was off and running. Wow, very cool. Um, do you mind going back a little bit further? How did you wind up at WALK for an internship there? So I worked at the Long Island Ducks because I lived nearby the ballpark. So I did, I sold the uh, Hawks scorecards and yearbooks, uh, uh, which mm. I don't even think they have at the minor league games anymore. I did the fast pitch tent, things like that. So I was around the ballpark a lot. WALK used to run events there and promotions there and their promotions director at the time a fellow by the name of bill terry uh started talking to me and i was super interested because i wanted to be a sportscaster when i grew up i knew that at a young age so i would always i the guys in the radio shirts and then you know one of them's talking to me so uh bill was very nice and he thought i was older than i was and he's okay you know here's my number you know, contact me. We're always looking for people to do promotions. Uh, and then he found out I was 15 and he was like, oh, well, I don't know what I could actually do with you. You can't drive the van. But there were certain promotions that I was able to help out with. Uh, I would usually in the early going, I would handle like the holiday parades when there were St. Patrick's Day parades all mm-hmm. over Long Island. I would handle the big inflatable walkie bear yeah. and I would grab his mouth and pull him under the wires the electric wires uh on the streets and the traffic lights and all that kind of stuff and that's i would just stand there and wave to people on the side like a homecoming queen because i don't know what else to do uh and yeah so i started doing promotions at walk and i did that throughout the rest of my time in high school and even my first year or two of college and at that point i could actually drive the vans so i had i had some idea of what i was getting into with radio uh based on you know just doing just doing the promotions there at, at WALK. Oh, the infamous walkie bear. Oh, yeah. I had to dress up as the mascot a few oh. times. That thing, you know, because we had in the back of the van, you had to have a generator for the inflatable walkie bears. So then yep. there was also a canister of gas in the back. And that walkie bear outfit, I mean, it was just thrown on top of everything in a black hefty bag. And it reeked of gasoline all the time uh, beyond, you know, the sweat of whoever wore it before you. It was it was not not all that pleasant, but I did get to do a a mascot kickball game at the Ducks Stadium, oh, uh, wow. which I don't know what sponsor we have at this point there, uh, but they're in Central Islip, and my I was friends with some of the Ducks people, so Quacker Jack. They had a second outfit. It was like Quacker Jack's grandma or something. So I kicked the cane out because it was like my high school buddy. And then, and then somebody tackled me from behind, and there was like a pileup of mascots. I've been looking for video of this. I mean, it's got to exist somewhere. Somebody really like popped me hard and almost knocked my head off. But yeah, I just heard like a bunch of dudes laughing, and it had to be a ridiculous sight. I, <laughs> I was at the bottom of the pile, so I'm not really sure. But yeah, it was some kind of mascot fight there in Central Islip 20, 25 years ago. So uh, yeah, it should be on like America's Funniest Home Videos or something. I don't know. 
Well, the the call is going out. If you know of the existence of this this tape, we would we would love to see it or or, yeah, or know of it. <laughs> um, so, do you remember who the person was at that um, that overnight who was interested in the radio? That that sort of brought you down there that first time. Oh, I don't, I don't at all. I don't. I'm not sure I ever saw him again. And if I did, I'm horribly remiss. It's my bad. But I I don't recall seeing that person again fate is very strange that way so so (laughs) so some unknown person directed you down to dempster hall and changed your life yeah yeah i mean it was probably like dustin gervais and i didn't recognize him i don't know but uh i don't know i don't i don't know who it was i don't think i saw them again i'm not sure if they actually joined the station or not i uh but yes, they they introduced me. They showed me the station, and I was blown away. And and that was that. Very good. So you mentioned doing uh, the training class. What do you remember from the training class? You remember who taught it, or maybe any other people who were in it with you? Yeah, Andrew Falzone taught the training class. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of Ed Ingalls. You got the uh, the big old Bruce speech that I'm sure many people have mentioned on this. Um, I don't. I don't remember if I was necessarily like buddies with anybody in the training class but uh but yeah grinded through the training class and then started showing up for the locker room and uh you know getting to meet the sports guys a little bit and helping out once i got i think you gotta get like halfway through the training class so you can start to to pop in and visit people so so yeah so it developed pretty quickly that spring semester you mentioned the the bruce speech Mm-hmm. And other people have mentioned it, but I'm always curious. What do you remember from that? He likes to sleep nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Went on for a while like that. Uh, that's that's basically what I remember. Okay, that's that's an important part of it, and that that sense of responsibility and the the keys to the Starship Enterprise. I think that was part of it too. Yeah, I never wanted the keys to the Enterprise, and you know? I never was all that interested in being behind the board and uh, you know keeping the station on and powering it up, but. I'm, I'm sure I did it. I think I did do it once or twice, power up the transmitter or something. But uh, yeah, no, I was never, never all that interested. And in, I never wanted the EAS test on my, my watch, no. you know? No, no one wants that. No one wants that. But it is a necessary uh, requirement. I was going to say necessary evil, but it's one of those things you have to do. Um, so do you remember getting on the air the first time? And if not the first time specifically, do you remember your feelings about getting on the air? Man, that's a good question. I don't actually remember my first time on air. I imagine it was the news program, uh, which I don't know why I possibly couldn't think of the name of it right now. Newsline? Newsline, yeah. Um, So I imagine it was Newsline. I probably did a little bit of news. I remember two things. I remember... Remember one during the training class, they talked about how you got to look at the script before you read it. And, you know, you can't just read it cold. So they wanted a volunteer to to read it cold and they wanted somebody to go up there and stumble. And I was like, I ain't going to stumble. And I read it perfectly clean. And I remember they were a little, Bruce is like, well, doesn't usually go like that. <laughs> but uh, then I failed the you had to pass the announcing test. I don't, again, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but there was some kind of announcing test you needed to get through and, and Ed Engels failed me on it. So my on air debut, I suppose was delayed because I couldn't say W 
uh, would mm-hmm. say W and, uh, you know, like the president at the time. And, uh, yeah, so I got pinged for that. Um, but yeah, I don't remember my first time on air. I do remember, you know, having plenty of nerves at various times. Like I remember my first time doing, being involved in play by play, or at least I was doing the analyst role, but I was with Kevin Ingalls. I believe it was a women's basketball game and we're at, you know, mid court at Hofstra arena, getting ready to, to call the game. And there was some kind of technical issue that Kevin was the perfect person to be dealing with that. But I remember sitting there and really hoping that the technical issue would prevent us from going on air because I you know, got nervous beforehand. And even though I'd done all the work and studied and all that kind of stuff, like just that that nervousness that you have beforehand, that's that's where I really remember it, that anxiety that you get before the show starts. And and Kevin fixed it and we got on and everything went fine with the broadcast. But I remember that that feeling that, oh, I really hope this doesn't work because I don't you know, I, I'm all anxious right now about going on. Yeah, that's gotta be a, a double set of nerves there because you're already worried about being on the air the first time and then you got a technical glitch and that's just something that adds to the tension. But it sounds like Kevin knew what he was doing. Yeah, well, Kevin Kevin was the best. Uh, technically, went on and, and worked at ESPN Radio for a, a long time. But uh, yes, uh, definitely with the right person as far as that goes. But I was I wasn't helpful. I was just sitting there and uh, and and actually rooting against him because I was I was so nervous <laughs> at the time. Well, clearly you weren't rooting hard enough. But it sounds like <laughs> you got through that experience. Was there a moment or a, a period of time where you started to feel like okay? Now I've got this. I feel comfortable. I have a se- sense of what I'm doing and, and I know I'm getting better. Was there a, a light bulb moment or was it just sort of a gradual feeling of I've got this? Definitely gradual. I don't remember a light bulb moment. I, I was very fortunate when I went through the sports department because we had some outstanding broadcasters and people that were you know, a few years older, whether it be obviously Jared Greenberg, who I did a number of broadcasts with. And Jared, when I first met Jared, I thought he was, you know, 30. Uh, He just had that confidence about not only the broadcasting, but what everything should sound like within a show or a broadcast, every piece of it. Uh, He could hear it all, analyze it all. And he had worked with a number of professionals so you just had a a lot of experience for someone who was you know what 19 at the time I met him probably a year older than me um so I was very fortunate to have Jared and then Nick Anastas was a tremendous play-by-play broadcaster I mean he sounded just like Marv Albert when he called the game he could tell a story paint a great picture uh to have those two guys in front of me you know Chris Karen uh who is an outstanding producer working at working within soccer now, uh, Ryan Hurley at a, a long run as the program director at ESPN New York. This had a, a number of people that were a year or two in front of me that not only went on had success elsewhere, but knew what they were doing and could help directly say, Pete, you got to do this, that, or the other thing, or that you could just take in by osmosis by listening to these guys on the air to how they... Uh, put together a broadcast to, you know, Josh Harmon, uh, who was our, you know, engineer extraordinaire uh, and and good on air as well in the, uh, was a year ahead of me. So to have all of those people 
in the years ahead really, I think, set me up for success later. And, you know, we had a, a good group in my class with Diana Ingalls and Matt Grice and, and Justin Paley and Brandon Costa, who's tremendous on air. Um, and I think that the the timing that I had was very fortuitous. And that that's what kind of helped me gradually become more comfortable. And by the time I was a junior, I guess, I was, you know, I'd done, uh, yeah, I ended up doing over a hundred broadcasts, uh, sports broadcast games while I was at Hofstra. I had a I had a word file with all of them at one point. I don't know what happened to that, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I did a ton. I, we we were very fortunate to be there and to do the amount of broadcasts that we do to uh, produce and do the locker room once a week. And then we created at that time, like a billion other shows. We did Atlantic 10 football shows called in the trenches. We did a bunch of coaches shows, which would be an hour long. And you sit there and interview Tom Pecorin, Felicia Leggett, Jack, the men's women's basketball coaches at the time, Joe Gardy, the head football coach. Mm -hmm. I'd interview him for an hour in the student center and, you know, just pick his brain about everything going on with the team. Uh, Just all these things that as a, professional broadcaster at a college you would do and so i just had so many reps that eventually yeah those those nerves maybe never totally went away but at least uh weren't weren't like the first time uh you're mentioning some great names there and i know uh and having spoken to to jared that he came to hofstra radio with with a sense of what he wanted to do he, he had had some experience um, and then, uh, Kevin and Diana. And I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is this set of expectations, these high expectations, is that, do you think that's coming from the students as individuals? Is it coming from Ed? Is it coming from Bruce? Is it the whole station? Where do you think that comes from? Ed never pushed us. Um, Ed was great. Cause he could, he's so positive and mm-hmm. Ed could, Say, hey, you know, you need to give the time and score more. That's the most important thing. Everything else that you do is fluff, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's it's the color. People want to know what's the score, what's going on, where are we at in the game? And you have to hit that once a minute, every two minutes, have an egg time, whatever. But he would hit us with the the basics of the broadcast. And then as you improved, he could help you, you know, set the scene when it's gonna be a big play, you know, so you're not screaming. You could start out really soft and then build your voice as the big play develops and he hits the shot rather than starting up here and then you have nowhere to go and you end up screaming and losing your voice. So just like all these little kinds of of tricks and wisdom, Uh, but Ed was very encouraging. I I just, you know, Ed, sometimes I wanted Ed to like rip my stuff apart. Like, no, tell me everything that's wrong so I can improve it all. But he was smart enough to know that that would be overwhelming and to kind of, you know, pick one thing at a time. Okay, you know, this, this, and this, much improved, much better. Let's work on this right now. And we would sit there and listen to, you know, 10 minutes of a broadcast that we did with Ed. And and he would he would listen to it and, and give his critiques. Um, and, and that was a huge thing. But I think, you know, just the expectations, I think a lot of us were self-motivated when we wanted to do this professionally. I plenty of heart to hearts with Jared where, you know, we talked about it, you know, what, what we want to do, where we want to go, how hard we want to work. Um, you know, there's no doubt that Jared had the work ethic and the desire to, to push all the way. And I think having seen all the work that he did at the station, you know, I was the sports director that followed him 
which was not something I wanted, <laughs> but uh, I just tried to, you know, keep it going. We were doing so many things. And so I tried to keep keep everything that we had going, all these coaches shows and A ten football shows and all the broadcasts we were doing and just try to keep it all keep it all alive and, and pass it to the next class. Um we were largely able to do that. But yeah, I think it was I think Jared was a driving force for a lot of it. But I do think that, you know, Ed pushed a little bit, but I think it was a lot of us, all of us wanted to do this professionally. And so we all had it within us. Hey, let's do as much as possible. Let's do as many broadcasts as we can. Let's get that great 10 minute clip and, and go and, and get that job. A lot of people have spoken about the sports department sort of as a fraternity within the larger station. Um, did you feel comfortable socially within that group and within the station was that an instantaneous thing was it an early on or did it take a little while to sort of find your place yeah so the sports department i was comfortable with everybody relatively quickly and um you know ralph benarchik is the other one i should mention it was very influential when i Mm -hmm. first joined the station we didn't cross over that much there um and obviously Kevin Ingalls as well, I mentioned earlier, but sports department. So, so we had, I guess we didn't help out election year one year as some kind of protest. And I, I don't, I wasn't involved in that decision and I wasn't really technically uh, experienced. So when I came in as sports director, it was kind of like, Hey, the sports department has become a little bit of an Island. I think with some of the talk, I was waitlisted to become sports director, which BS, but whatever. And then uh, it was all because of that. There was some kind of division that that Bruce felt. And I I got along with everybody. So I, I don't know. I felt like a lot of that changed while I was there. And I don't know if it goes back and forth or whatever. But yeah, I loved everybody in the sports department. We would, I mean, the thing we would do every day, we'd go into that conference room and we'd all eat lunch and hang out and watch whatever was on ESPN at the time and, you know, bust on each other, or whatever. And I guess if you weren't a part of the sports department, maybe it was intimidating for some people to go in there, but we didn't, you know, weren't rude to anybody. Um, so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that time hanging with everybody uh, in the sports department and, and at the station overall. Uh, so I don't know. I always felt like got along with everybody and I know that's been, a uh, a thing over the years and it was a thing like i said when when i took over as sports director but i thought i thought it all i thought it improved in my time there over those three years yeah i think you're right it's cyclical that there are times where uh for whatever reason maybe it's egos maybe it's competition maybe it's the preemptions of airtime whatever it might be that sometimes there are a lot of groups yeah different (laughs) groups there preemption letters yeah, there's 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 precious airtime, and you know I really wanted to do this on my rock show this week. And what do you mean there's a basketball game? And that that can lead to some tension. But sure. uh, I, I'm guessing from the way you're talking about your very early days at the station, like you went down there not quite on a whim, but just to sort of find out and like, hey, there's this amazing facility. There's all these cool people. It seems like you jumped in pretty quickly and got involved. And it didn't take a lot of time. No, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. I, you know, was willing to do radio or television, and I was involved at HTV as well as I got into my later years at Hofstra. But uh, you know, RHU was where I learned everything. It was 
40 times as valuable as any class I took. It was far more valuable than the television time I had. I mean, RHU is where I learned everything. And it's, you know, thanks to people like Ed and, and Jared um, that, you know, really had experience, knew what they were doing and were able to, to pass down that knowledge and were open about it. So, yeah, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew walking in that I was going to be a sportscaster. I was going to do this and I wanted to call the games. I wanted to do all that. I didn't know everything about WRHU when I walked in as a student, but I knew there was an opportunity to call at least some games. I didn't realize how many games we could do. I didn't realize how unique our setup was where we're calling football games and we're the only radio station. We're the radio station. So we're not just, you know, the, the second fiddle to the commercial guys that might be calling the game. That wasn't the situation for us. We were it. We, I, you know, sat in the golf cart with Joe Gardy going around football practice and give me, you know, three or four minutes of tape to go and, and put onto Newsline and my sports report. And we were it. If they wanted, you know, to get a, a message out and, and to do the media for radio, it was us. So, and we had a responsibility to tell those stories correctly and accurately and as, as many of them as possible. So yeah, we were, we were it. I mean, that was, that was tremendous. I didn't know all that going in. Um, you know, I knew that there was a great facility there. I did not know that, you know, the sports department would have the opportunity to call as many games as they did, you know, thanks to some of the guys came before like Vinny Bacucci and Keith Arizari, and I'm sure Mark Day and all these guys before that. But uh, yeah, it was a great situation when I walked in. And like I said, my my responsibility, especially when I took over a sports record, was just keep it going and and pass it on to the next group. You've mentioned a couple of times about talking to Coach Gardy and some of the other coach interview programs. That I mean, that's got to be somewhat intimidating for an undergrad from an 18, 19 year old to go up and, and talk to and sit for an hour with one of these coaches. Did you feel like you were uh, ready for that? We talked about nerves earlier. Was that something that you watched and sort of learned how to do those things? Yeah, I was able to watch Jared host a lot of those shows. I think he had more interest in that than I did. Um, but yeah, I end up doing a lot of those and they, they would be tough because look, uh, nobody won any championships while I was there. I mean, the men's basketball team was very good while I was there, but mm -hmm. it, it's not always, you know, all roses. You know, when we would talk to coach Gardy in the student center, they might be coming off a loss and you got to talk about it for 30 minutes. And, you know, people don't have like the answers when they're coming off a loss. They, you know, shut down on you pretty quick. You got to try to find other things to talk about. So, you know, we talk about, you know, Coach Gardy's Jets days and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is something that Howard Cassell said to him before a Monday night broadcast once and uh, all these different kinds of things to try to keep it interesting and, and keep them involved. But one thing you learn is is how to phrase a question, because, you know, you if you put someone on the defensive, you don't get a very good answer. <laughs> and if you're trying to talk to them for 30 minutes and and maintain a relationship because you're going to be talking to them during the week before the games. And then next week at the coaches show, uh, you learn how to, you know, ask things in a, a non-accusatory way, right? Mm -hmm. Which isn't what we grew up listening to on sports radio with Mike and the mad dog. Everything is, you know, yelling and, and getting at somebody in that situation. Uh, whereas, you know, you're not, we're not looking to spar with the head coach that we're going to be dealing with all the time. So uh, it was, it was great experience. And when you do get a good story or, you know, really open, honest answer, it, it makes it 
that much more fun. And then you realize, you know, as I got older into radio, interviewing is the best part because how you ask a question could get a range of different responses and emotions and stories. And I've just found, you know, trying to be as neutral as possible is usually the best way to to get people to go a little bit, as I'm sure, Brian, you've experienced with doing this rather Mm -hmm. than. Uh, you know, giving your opinion and then saying, here's the mic, you know, answer this or uh, respond to that. Like uh, sometimes you get people to open up a little bit more in other ways and it's, it's something you have to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like you came into Hofstra radio with pretty high expectations. Would it be fair to say that the station met your expectations? Absolutely. I mean, WRHU was uh, worth every penny I spent in tuition at Hofstra or the four years I spent there. I mean, WRHU is everything. Um, You know, my first job was at MLB.com and it came through Vinny Bacucci. He was working at MLB.com and I was in kind of a a tough spot. I used to sell beer at the Islanders games and that was, you know, how I'd make some money. Uh, And then they had the lockout in like 2005. So Mm -hmm. I lost my income and I was doing so much of the station that I didn't, I didn't have money. So I didn't have money to intern anywhere. And Vinny, uh, we were actually like at Hooters, which I wasn't going to go to because I didn't have any money. And Greg, Greg Rice is like, no, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. I was like, all right, I'll sit there and have some soda or something. But uh, Vinny was like, oh yeah, like they're hiring for the baseball season. So I was a junior and in April of 05, I started working at MLB.com and like getting paid real money. It wasn't even wow. an internship. And it was, uh, you know, totally life changing and unbelievable. And, you know, all of that stuff is through the experience I had at WRHU. When I went in and tried out, I sounded good because I had so many reps at WRHU. And I was able to, you know, walk in and be a professional broadcaster at 20 years old, which was all thanks to my time at the radio station. So, yeah, I mean, RHU is everything uh, for my career development and beyond that personal development, you know, buddies of mine that were at my wedding, I've gone to their weddings, right. Still hang out with, talk to catch up with very quickly. Uh, you know, that's, those are all things that were part of my time at WRHU. Hmm. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. I have a feeling you've got some more stories. Uh, I've got more questions and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anytime, Brian, happy to go into the memory banks and sorry, I couldn't think of Newsline right away. I think I'd know that noun pretty well, but (laughs) it's it's interesting. You you don't think about all this stuff for a long time and then you go back and you you realize it's been like uh, 20 years since you you got in there. It's, It's pretty often that I'll get emails from people afterwards saying, I remember that guy's name. I remember who that was. And it, it all comes back. But the important thing, I think, is that the foundational stuff that Hofstra Radio brings for a lot of us. I will not remember who brought me to the station the first time. That will not come back. That hasn't been in my head in 20 years. So I, I'm sorry to that person. But that person was very important. Very important. It's just funny, right? Like the, uh, the funny things that happen in life that, that put you on a certain path. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And if that person knew, you know, how life-changing that was, you know, what would that mean to that person? So, um, well, this was tremendous. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Brian.